For September 13th, 2021, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 689, The Legend of Scrutiny. It's the Overthinking It podcast where we subject the popular culture to a legend legend of scrutiny. It probably doesn't <laughs> deserve an ancient legend of of scrutiny. And the overthinkers are uh, are like a hidden city, a hidden magical city, protecting the world uh, from bad takes from uh, from the underthinking it monster who wants to suck up all of your bad takes uh, out of your out of your overthinking uh, overthinking brain um i'm i'm uh, matt rather i am joined by my good friends pete fenzel hello pete hey matt and mark lee hello mark hello matthew it's great to uh, it's great to have you i we, we're glad every time that, that you can join us all right open the portal everyone because we are indeed uh we are indeed uh, telling the legend of scrutiny and we are we are heading into a to a secret city we are uh going to go back into the marvel cinematic universe we're talking about shang chi uh and the the 10 rings and here we are we're going to uh we're going to give a sad goodbye at a portal um which this film does contain and is the prerequisite for any particular uh, any particular Mar- Marvel movie these days. Um, spoilers for for the whole thing. Let's dive into it. Mark, you haven't been been here for a while. Uh, how did you feel about about Shang Chi and how did you feel um, about its uh, sort of new direction for the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Well, Pete, I'm here as a, a representative, as an emissary for the entire Asian American experience. Oh, is that uh, is that how you is that how you're here? Uh, yes, I, yes, I am. Okay. Uh, to, I also, he's about- he's Pete. I'm I'm Matt. I, I know I know uh, <laughs> all white people look the same. <laughs> oh, oh, really? That's who you guys are. Oh, I thought this was Belinkian Stokes the whole time. This is really embarrassing. It's all right. <laughs> sorry, sorry to disappoint. <laughs> I should have brought a personality along with all of my vociferous takes on everything. <laughs> I'll put it on my list. I I grew a beard during quarantine, and I realized it makes me unrecognizable. <laughs> so my, my 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 takes are on kind of how this propels the Marvel Cinematic Universe forward, or are lukewarm at best, and we'll get to that later. Um, my takes on how this is um, an Asian American experience movie are also kind of lukewarm, surprisingly. I think in this. So well, let's just, if nothing else, let's use this as a starting point because hey, I'm here. I, I made it for this, uh, and I, you know because I am. Your emissary for the entire Asian American experience for this. Okay, I'm actually not going to start by talking about Shang Chi. I'm going to start start talking about another Aquafina movie, which is The Farewell. Um, uh, I'm given to understand that Matt, you've seen this, but Pete, you have not, right? No, I just heard the soundtrack. Oh, okay. Because, includes- because Mark, here's why it contains yeah, yeah. a Leonard Cohen song, uh, mm. and I was hoping it would be Hallelujah, but it is not Hallelujah, and and my my extreme disappointment at that you're, fact made me. You're no, still but- looking for the secret chord. I am. I haven't found it, but uh, but I I know you don't really care for music, do you? So let's let's talk about the, the <laughs> film. Okay, so the farewell is kind of like, uh, and I I will put it out there as like a quintessential sort of Asian American experience movie, right? Where you have um, an Asian American person living in the United States 
who feels incomplete or kind of stuck in between worlds and then returns back to the motherland, in this case, China, to do family stuff, um, try to uncover more of her identity and become a more complete person. And there's a lot of fish out of water stuff. And there's all this kind of like very complex alienation feelings that you that an Asian American person has when they go back to the motherland and they expect to belong and expect to find themselves. But um, feel alienated from all the people around them that are very closely related to them and look a lot like them. Um, and, you know, that's fine for pathos and for uh, for humor and all sorts of different things. Uh, Crazy Rich Asians is somewhat similar um, in this regard, but uh, we're going to focus on, uh, well, we'll feature someone else who, who, who was also in some Michelle Yeoh. Um, but uh, the, the Farewell is a, is, a, is a better connection there because Aquafina's character, right, you know, and in short order, hops on an airplane to go to China to do Asian stuff over there, right? Um, it's a great movie. I remember checking it out. Um, I was kind of expecting Shang-Chi to be somewhat along those lines, and um, I was surprised. I'm neither pleasantly nor unpleasantly surprised, just kind of, you know, um, just straight up surprised, uh, an unexpected result that this is not that sort of movie, right? Um, at least on its surface, because Shang-Chi... Uh, like he's not like impotent in America, right? He only has this kind of like you know uh, slacker valet parker valet parking job persona um, as a bit of a defense mechanism, uh, but he's got the mad skills all along, right? And when he travels to Asia, he kind of uh, fits in immediately uh, into that environment. Um, and this also connects, by the way, to the, what we often discuss here, right? The hero's journey piece, right? Where um, at the end of it, you, uh, the hero becomes the, uh, the the master of two worlds, right? Um, you know, easily, you know, just off the top of my head, like the Matrix, or because the Matrix is back, you know, Neo becomes the master of um, the, the Matrix as well as kind of the, the actual physical world um, at the end of that movie. Um, but Shang-Chi already kind of is that, at least when it comes to um, the kind of being a whole person in the United States and in uh, in China. Now, I, as I say that, like you can feel free to dispute the extent to which the whole person in the United States or not. But his kind of mastery over two worlds storyline in this is over kind of like uh, spans our quote unquote real world and also Talo, right? The mythical land uh, where his mother came from, which is full of um, uh, utopian Chinese people and mythical beasts and also the aforementioned portal. Uh, into another dimension that full of evil stuff behind it. So all that is to say, my reading on this in terms of regards to the Asian American experience is that if you want to see Shang-Chi, the main character, has his arc uh, on its surface as being that sort of, you know, needing to become the master of two worlds thing, um, you're not going to find it, but it's there in a metaphorical sense if you really, really want it to be there. And uh, it works for those who, who want to see to get that sort of satisfaction from a movie. With a with an uh, not Asian American by the way, but an Asian uh, but Asian American character, but a, a Asian Canadian actor, right? We want to see that sort of satisfaction from that type of character from a representation point of view, um, but it, it's also not there and and kind of fades to the background uh, 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 um, as well. So that's my uh, lukewarm take on the Asian American experience. Um, Mark, what about fellow, what about my, my white, my white, people, oh, my white panelists on this here? Uh, <laughs> does any of that resonate with you? Well, I understand. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. I mean, did you find more of it in in Aquafina's uh, character as opposed to Simu Liu's character? A little bit, yes. Um, because you know, there's, there's, it goes out of the way to say that you know she, she doesn't speak Chinese well. She's she gets those fish out of water moments 
but the movie can't like kind of just uh, dwell too much on that. A because she's not the main character, and B because as we mentioned, she did that movie already uh, <laughs> sure. in the form of uh, in, in 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 the farewell. Now, what I will say though is that you mentioned Aquafina. Um, there's an important scene uh, in this. Uh, there's two important scenes regarding with, with that feature her in it regarding names. And uh, this is kind of the most, maybe one of the, the most direct uh, ways in which this movie really speaks to sort of that uh, Asians in diaspora uh, phenomenon. Let's put it, let's speak broadly in those regards, right? Um, it has to do with the names, right? On the plane, Sean uh, has an extended sequence where he has to explain the translation, uh, the, uh, the pro- correct pronunciation of his name, not Shang-Chi, but I'm not even, I'm going to butcher it even now, right? Shang, like Shang-Chi, right? Or, or some variation thereof, right? And then also Tony Leung, um, you know, goes out of his way to ask uh, Aquafina's character, Katie, like, like, you know, what is your Chinese name, right? Like kind of like really kind of probe to get at identity. And um, lots of Asian Americans, myself included, have this sense of like, you know, carrying this around um, two names, um, you know, and me, like, you know, you know me as Mark, my uh, my English my American name. I have a Korean name as well, Song Min. Um, and it's almost like you know, if if I'm being referred to as that, you're you're. I, it's almost like a, a secret or a secondary identity that I also get to carry around uh, with me. And in this movie, um, you know, there there you know that is uh, mined less for sort of like the kind of uh, you know surface level identity politics things, but more for the thematic elements of the story, in particular for Shang Chi for discovering who he is. So. Um, all that. I know I know in in the states you treat it like your you treat your Korean name like a middle name and I've always felt that like whenever I hear my middle name uh, I know I'm in trouble. I know one of my parents yeah. is is yelling. At me. <laughs> I don't know if it's the same for you. But uh you know middle middle names is a is a sign of 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 warning. I mean the the interesting thing about the interesting thing that that Tony Leung says in that um in that scene and that Michelle Yeoh kind of echoes in, in a slightly different register later in the movie. It has to do with your name sort of being a destiny, right? Because it, it connects you to, it connects you to your family, not just to your immediate family whom you know, but to a kind of patrimony, or I suppose in this case, matrimony of, uh, wait, is that the word that I, th- is that the, is that the, <laughs> the same word or does it just mean marriage? Matriarchy. Yeah. I think this is what um, we're looking for. You know, the, the, an inheritance, uh, passed in this case kind of through a female line, you know, the, um, to, to, uh, you know, generations and generations of ancestors, uh, whom you, you may not have met or even know about really. And the, the, the film deals in, in sort of millennia in like a time scale of millennia. I think they've, they've been at the, you know, they've been guarding the portal for 4,000 years or, or, or something like something like that. And that like, you know, to, to a certain extent, um, the, the discourse of, of kind of names and, and what you call yourself is, uh, similar to the discourse of like, do you know, you know, do you know who you are or sort of do you accept, um, do you accept who you are? Which in this case means, it means accepting your, your kind of genealogical inheritances, um, light and dark, good and bad rather than, uh, you know, rather than any uh, particular 
national identity. Um, and it's, it's sort of when he does that, that he, that, um, Shang-Chi manages to uh, take the, it was spoiler alert, take the, the rings away from his father. Pete, I'll bet you're raring to get in here. I don't, I don't want to get, I don't want to accelerate quite so fast away from Mark, what Mark is saying, I think. Um, although I do want to say, I feel bad about this because I don't want to correct anything that you've said, Mark, because of course you have the privileged perspective here, but I really don't want us to forget, uh, Ronnie Chang, my new, who I was so happy to see, which surprised me. I was like, oh, wow, I have a new favorite character actor now, right? Which is like, oh, it's Ronnie Chang for who's, who is in crazy rich Asians and plays the, uh, the, the cage fight master, uh, in uh, in this in this movie, a uh, Jojo, I think his name is, and who also is a great stand-up comic. Uh, he is Malaysian of extraction, but was also partially raised in nearby Manch Vegas, New Hampshire, as well as Singapore. The the two great uh, metropolises I like to think of of contemporary international life: Manchester, New Hampshire, and Singapore. But yes, so just wanted to point out there's at least one more actor that's crossing Shang Chi and some of these other things. But no, um, I just I do really identify with what you're talking about, Mark, about the immigrant experience of the uh, of the family or the person who has become American looking back for a missing piece of themselves to this mystical place that they came from. Uh, the thing is just it's weird because I know it's not the same, but everything for my family is like, you know, 70 years farther back. But but you say these things and it feels very analogous. I mean, like, you know, we had it and it was called like, you know, a river runs through it and river dance and like all that nonsense. Right. Where it's like um, there's the there's the whole idea of like, oh, man, there's the Irish part of me is missing. Right. And I need to go back and find my Irishness, which is why I'm going to go to Celtic woman at the PNC Bank Arts Center. Right. Um, there's this search for this part of yourself that's that's not there for some reason. Um and so I so I so I don't necessarily say that the particulars are, of course, close, but uh, except in so far as much as we also get, you know, secret names. Sure. Uh, but, <laughs> um, but, but like, you know, I mean, like, you know, again, not to, uh, you know, pick, to pick apart like your experience for it, too. Like, you know, the, the Asian experience that comes from a profound sense of alienation from the mainstream society. Right. Oh, it's like, so fast. Uh, Your society changed so fast is the thing. Right. Like the whole world transformed so fast. Right. Like Ireland didn't change that much in 30 years. Right. Like it was still pretty much Ireland, you know, in 1870, 1880, 1890. Right. Like, but when I think about like, like, I mean, well, I'm sorry. I mean, you, you go ahead, but, um, I, I do want to just say that the lead actor of, uh, of Shang-Chi, Sumi is his name, right? Um, Simulu. Uh, Simulu, not Sumi. Simulu. I just want to call him Sean because uh, that's what he wanted to be called in the movie. Uh, I guess. I don't know. But, um, but he has gotten in trouble for speaking out against the Chinese government by simply relaying the facts of the experience of his mom, who's like a refugee. Right. Like, so it's sort of like, but, but the time when she was a refugee, the situation was so fundamentally different. Right. Well, right. But uh, that, I mean, it was the, it was the mom or the, the, the a grandparent or something who said like, Oh, who said essentially China used to be a dump, right? Like yeah. we, we were, we were lucky to get out of there. People and, yeah. were starving. Yeah. yeah. Fact, fact check. Yeah, <laughs> Factcheck.com. Right. And it's like, yeah, that that's like on one hand, okay. The Chinese government doesn't want you to be saying things that are detracting to them because it shows a lack of loyalty or they don't want it. They want to control the narrative, but also like that was only like 60 years ago. Right. Like that's and it was fun. The country was I'm just surprised. I'm just surprised that there's not a broader acknowledgement of just how much everything has changed. 
you know, um, it, like like the idea that that of the places you go to and maybe, Mark, you can speak to this in your experience, because I know you've traveled in Asia recently, like the idea that like you go back to Asia and it's the place that hasn't changed. Asia's changed a lot more than New York has in the past 50 years. Well, I don't know, right? Pete, like, you know, New York had a portal open up and it got like <laughs> most of Midtown was like leveled and had to be rebuilt. <laughs> then half of the people got snapped out of existence. And then, you know, the guy, like, like we're, we just remember we're in a, we're in a, a notional reality where New York has changed a great deal. I mean, for some people it's changed, but then Luke, Luke Cage is just trying to protect Harlem. Right. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, I don't know, Mark, was, do you get that experience? Is there, is that part of the experience of co- is seeing how different it is than the stories that you hear from your parents about what it was like? Or is, is that not part of it because the tradition is so strong? Oh, you're asking if there's a profound sense of alienation, like uh, uh, for going back and, and to Asia and seeing how much has changed. Well, I mean, I mean like, it, yeah, because like there's the question of how much is different from you. But then there's also the question of how much it diff- it's different from how it was. Oh, no. well, I'll just, I'll just offer this anecdote, which is yeah. that uh, my late father, uh, towards the end of his life and end of his career, uh, had the opportunity, uh, after having been away from South Korea for a solid 30 years, go back there and actually work in this, like, field, professional field, as mm-hmm. a liaison between, like, uh, his American company and his Korean com- company. And it was, uh, you know, this kind of, like, amazing homecoming experience, but also he found himself profoundly alienated from the place <laughs> that he grew up as well yeah. so it, it is a gift that keeps on giving gotcha 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 but it is interesting that we feel like there's this thing that's missing from us right like just just so many different people feel that for so many different reasons but that, that, that i'm glad to hear that these stories be told i i will say to, to add to what you said like it seemed like it might be going in that direction but then it what it, it seemed to be revealing was that Oh, no, secretly that it was more of a it was more of a Westworld situation where, like, the story had already happened and we just weren't being told about it rather than that things happened and changed. Like Sean had always reconciled. Right. Chang Chi had always already reconciled to an extent, you know, his upbringing in China and in the, you know, in Dragonland and all that other stuff with his upbringing in America. We just, you know, we were just assuming this was going to be weird for him because we didn't know that he was raised in China, right? We being through our audience surrogate Aquafina, right? And it's also right. it's also a little bit like his his experience is, you know, sui generis, right? Like uh, the he's he's a, and he's an international assassin hiding out from his international assassin headmaster school right. dad you yeah. know he's not like uh uh, yeah. uh he's not a, a quote-unquote normal immigrant whatever um yeah. the, the, the irish version of this movie is called patriot games by the way <laughs> 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 it's very, very similar up to and including the uh the little winged guy with no face but that's uh, was, but again oh, guys, guys, guys the, the assassin school is a metaphor for going to the Kumon, okay, uh, <laughs> math academy where you're sitting there and drilling for your face. But oh, that, man. yeah, I do they do they at the Kumon? Do they make you uh, do they make you punch a uh, punch a log, punch a telephone pole until your your you know the calluses on your knuckles? Ugh, kind of kind of gross. Um, I suppose like Pete, he didn't know he was from Dragonland. You know, until like no, he didn't know. It, yeah, he didn't know. You know that 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 Dragonland was was actually really a thing. 
um, and that it that it contained actual actual dragons and also headless uh, headless chicken pigs um, yes. that that were that were cute that were cute just just real quick digression here uh a favorite um favorite fantastical or or mythical creature i gotta say the peacock foxes the white foxes with like five to seven tails um i thought they were any nine tails there (laughs) the the, uh the um i liked uh i liked that the little puppy the little fox puppy was tripping over its many tails i thought that was pretty adorable what uh you guys have a favorite fantastical beast I'm letting you go first, Mark, if you want, but I can jump in. Um, can I just say that you know, Michelle Yeoh <laughs> is <in laughs> a fantastical, fantastical creature of uh, of uh, unearthly beauty. Uh, I think that qualifies. Is she also your favorite fantastical beast in Star Trek Discovery? Uh, no, none of them no. are gradual level of favorite. Oh, fair enough, I- fair enough. Uh, but no, for me, I think I have a headcanon. One of my little headcanons about this movie, uh, I liked the the lions. I liked the Imperial Guardian lions, yep. um, which my headcanon in this movie, because there's a red lion and a white lion. And I tried to do some research and please, you know, come to our discord and correct me or correct me in the comments section of our website uh, if I've got this wrong. But I don't think that there is a special instance of the lion spirit that was being referenced in this movie. I think it was aesthetically linked to the red and white duality that was being manifest that I want to talk about more. Um, but I thought the big red lion that they were showing by headcanon is that somebody was thinking of the king of red lions, which is the boat from the legend of Zelda, the wind waker, <laughs> which is a, uh, a guardian lion spirit. That's part of a ship that ends up being a king in disguise uh, through magic. But I'm like, man, that's the king of red lions. And a lot of people played Zelda who don't talk about it. It's sort of our sort of a secret society, right, of, of people who live <laughs> among you. Um, and they're, they're like the Ten Rings. They're that's everywhere. A, that's Doctor um, Strange that you're talking That's, oh, that's okay. not this movie. That's that's the, not, all right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, yes, I liked the big lions. I thought the lions were adorable. Um, but it's interesting that they were, you know, they were guarding the like the lake. You know, I, I, it does seem useful for drama purposes to, uh, to have a, a giant lake in front of the portal, I guess, so that like, if anything comes through the portal, you, you hope it can't swim, but I, I, I guess it can fly also. So that's not, you know, that's not super helpful. I liked, uh, I mean, the, the, the interesting, so that there was like an interesting aside once you got into the, um, the, the hidden village, like there were, were some interesting symbolic, uh, things, you know, with the, the, uh, the mother and Michelle Yeoh associated with, with water and air and, you know, the father associated with, with earth and fire and, uh, and two dragons. And, uh, what were the two dragons doing? What were they doing, Pete? What were the two dragons doing? (laughs) Well, they were fighting over a, gleaming ball of soul energy man oh got it a kind of <laughs> a um, pearl if you will oh it's uh yeah it was well i mean no it was oh a, and it, this is a trope that was invented in the dwayne johnson movie uh the the tower right <laughs> the skyscraper, the skyscraper it's called the tower <laughs> you forgot what the movie's called it's only got one word <laughs> skyscraper yes. not the skyscraper just simply skyscraper right? we have to remember that movie because we're the only ones who saw it mark if we, <laughs> if we forget about it it will cease to have ever existed yeah it's true jane yeah you can never say that a dwayne johnson movie is dead as long as one person is alive <laughs> who has seen it <laughs> 
Rampage will live forever because lots of people saw that movie for some reason. Uh, but yeah, but we first noted on this podcast in the Dwayne Johnson movie Skyscraper, which was very much made for the Asian market, that the uh, that the Chinese you know, folkloric and architectural trope of two dragons fighting over a pearl was manifest in the Skyscraper, which was topped with a with a device called the Pearl, right? Uh, that these two beefy, beefy dudes who were uh, dichotomies, who were sort of doppelgangers of each other, uh, were, 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 were fighting over. And, and since then, we've noticed this has been sort of, it seems that it's being script doctored into movies that, are, that they're looking to have play in, uh, in the Chinese market as a sort of comfortable symbology that doesn't really make you stretch that much. Uh, and in this movie, it was like, oh man, this is a big Marvel movie, so we got a hundred dragons and we got fifty pearls, right? We got all sure. Sorts I mean, you of got dragons baby dragons. You got two main dragons. You know, it's yeah. a two, two, two big dragons. There's octopus dragon, uh, and then there's eel. There's a underwater yeah. eel dragon, and yeah. um, you know, and they they ride the dragon like it's uh, yeah. I don't know, like it's what never ending story or like yeah. uh, or it's like he looks like Goku from the cover of a Dragon Ball comic or like Spirited Away. Is the other one that comes to mind, right? Doesn't she ride a dragon, and that's similar to that in that oh, one? Oh yeah. Um, but that, I don't know, Mark. Yeah, sorry, yeah two dragons. They were fight. They were fighting over a pearl. So it's it has deep roots in the cultural <laughs> mythology of uh, well, you know. So so I mean, Matt, you say this, but just to bring it back, uh, I think that what this is identifying is, of course, another axis that's cutting across the movie, right? Which is like Mark has, I think, identified that there that you know he goes there expecting or looking and not to put words in your mouth, but like for a potential Asian experience, Asian American experience movie, like the farewell, because it's about a man of two worlds. Uh, but no, you know, Sean's not quite there. Right. Yep, exactly. Uh, but then there's, now we're going into more of a kind of martial arts style movie where you're really talking about, and I feel like I've seen this trope a whole ton of times, the, the open hand and the closed fist, the mother and the father, Right. And like, which side are you from? And especially in modern retellings of these sorts of stories, the uh, and I think you see that you see this not just in Eastern uh, spirituality and storytelling and that along that lines. But I think you see it a lot in in Western fantasy also whenever it gets spiritual, which is like men who have this sort of toxic energy, as we would call it in our, you know, biopower way of politically identifying this phenomenon, um, this this particular destructive masculine energy, right, that is attributed to patriarchy and the negative influence of men in society, uh, you have a male character who has to discover the female side of their spiritual being and recognize that maybe they aren't the yin side of the yin-yang, maybe they're the yang side, right? So like, so in discovering... In, in discovering the spiritual uh, haven of Dragonland, right, Talo, I guess it was called, I think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Talo. Shang-Chi is, yes, he's discovering this, you know, sort of pre-modern notion of a folkloric and mythological China, but he's also he's also discovering the secret garden, uh, right, of, of, you know, uh, come to my garden, the bamboo will kill your truck, right? Like, that's how the song goes, I think. Uh, <laughs> that's, oh yeah, absolutely. Pete, when a thing is wick, someone, someone cares about it. <laughs> it so had its eyes, it had my dragon's angel eyes. <laughs> Those eyes that killed the monster long ago. When your when your bow is wick, you always hit the bullseye <laughs> and fire your arrows each day like you and me. We're singing, we're singing uh, 
uh, we're singing the altered lines from the uh, yeah. Tony Award nominated uh, musical, The Secret Garden. I don't remember right. if it won that particular year, but I remember it seeing matter. Yeah, it, it's it doesn't really, it doesn't, it speaking, doesn't matter. Speaking of, uh, speaking of the forest eating your truck. Um, yes. Pete, do you have anything you want to say about the BMW iX3? Uh, the- <laughs> Wait, the iX3? <laughs> yeah, that was what, that's what razor, razor fists, razor arms wagon was. Really? It was only a three. That's really interesting. So one thing I did notice was that they were in an M8 at the beginning. Right. Right. Yes. So 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 this was a movie that was very conspicuously BMW in a car in a car sense, which is funny because it's so Asian. Right. So but all the cars are German. Right. right. Um, and uh, and also because they were driving an M8, but then the bus ran over an I8. Uh-huh. Right. So the M8 is the gas powered one, although I think they probably have electric motors on the wheels at this point at some point. But but the I8 is the electric one. So it sort of felt like it was kind of repudiating some of that idea of the sort of BMW as the electric car company. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, then we get to the SUV. So that's an electric SUV that they were driving all I that th- distance through that bamboo forest. According according to Wikipedia, that the uh, the BMW iX3 was the car that that appeared in the film that Aquafina was driving through. Yeah the through the living maze right which is funny because talo isn't going to have an outlet but it also wasn't going to have a gas station so it's really six yeah, but when they, the when they show up you know when they when they show up they have those um electric hooks those electric hook weapons so you just oh yeah you hit yeah, that yeah. yeah that's 220 yeah. <laughs> I thought the, most, the most notable moment from a car perspective in this movie is when the bad guys show up in what i think are a fleet of mercedes g-wagons with the badging all removed yep <laughs> because it's a BMW sponsored movie is like the implication, right? It's like the bad guys are driving these like nameless, the leading brand, right? Like this nameless evil car that is a Mercedes. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Cause but those looks vaguely are- fancy. Yeah, exactly. That's how the tenderings roll. Those are Kardashian cars, is what they, is what they are. But anyway, sorry, I'm I'm distracting. I'm distracting from the main point of the movie. But uh, but yeah, I mean, there was a certain amount of uh, of Black Panther stylistic influence in this movie, and it's sort of neon soaked fast car uh, sort of marketing style. Um, but I don't know. It seemed like it succeeded as a BMW and, movie. But, but, I, but and by the way, since, since you name dropped Black Panther, just like really quickly to name check yeah, that there, yeah, right? yeah. like there's some very superficial uh, similarities between Black Panther and this movie, and also like Wakanda and Talo. Um, mm-hmm. But most notably, differently, this goes back to the first time we talked about about this not really, really exactly being an Asian American movie, right? Black Panther like straight up deals with like pan-African identity uh, and Mm. oppression of black people around the world. Right. And this movie is not um, Shang-Chi rolls the streets of San Francisco and writes the wrongs of the Chinese exclusion act and stops Asian hate. I mean, that could be a very, maybe that's the sequel. (laughs) I mean, there's nothing that says like, you know, there's whole areas of, you know, Cambodia. There's nothing like, Oh man, all these other parts of Asia are really suffering because we're keeping our magic to ourselves. No, that is not the story. No, that is no, not. No, the, no, no, yeah, no. exactly. But it's not, they're, they're not like mining a, a precious natural resource unless you consider dragon scales, a precious natural resource. So I gather oh, they're right. not mined. I gather they're, they're like gifted and then, and then you have, you have as many as you have. And so you have to, you know, figure out how to uh, figure out how to dispose of the, 
the all the dragon scales. But Pete, you were you were making you were making a point that you 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 that that Cheng Chi shows up in um what I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of the the mystical land. He he shows up in the, it's the secret garden. He shows up yeah. in in Talo uh thinking that he's going to have to kill his father, right? That yes. that like yes. I'm I am going to be what he made me. I am you know I'm going to kill my father. And so that he he would represent sort of the young, the the um the uh, aggressive right uh, uh impulse and the kind of the duality of the the nurturing and the the aggressive impulse and that he actually represents the the yin energy the the nurturing energy that you know is associated i guess in the movie visually with the kind of like the backward circular foot movement that mm-hmm. his his mother does and Michelle Yeoh does and then finally at the end he he does um with his father and like, and it, circular motion, circular motion in general, right? Like the, whether it's the, um, the kind of pas de dieu that the, that the mother and father do and then that he does with his own father, um, you know, in this, in this sort of serene, uh, way or the, the leaves, you know, whipping around in a circle or things like that rather than the, the, the thrusting motion associated with the, you know, associated with the, the young energy. And so yeah. that, like yeah. he's gonna and and so that he also like he he his father breaks his stick in half <laughs> for for what it's worth like if that's if that's uh meaningful to you um and so but then his sister turns out to be a uh you know paramilitary commander by the end of the movie right 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 yeah so like in martial arts movies right those sweeping circular movements are associated with tai chi generally speaking and and with taoism Right. Sort of accepting the things as they are. Right. And and whereas the more striking ones um, are are more I mean, they're they're not associated with Taoists. I guess the um, the closed fists in the open hand, just as a brief aside, a brief digression, the closed fists in the open hand together constitute the wushu salute. Right. Which you see as a sort of greeting. Right. In a lot of martial arts. Uh, related stuff. And I, I know this mostly in the context of martial arts movies. So I'm sure people know more about this in the context of real life and how these things work. But the uh, it's one of those symbols that has a lot of meanings because people will make ones up if they don't know the real one or it's just intuitively makes sense. I think the actual historical or at least the most confirmable historical meaning is that it's a stealth call for the return of the Ming dynasty because Ming is comprised of the characters of sun and moon. So the duality of sun and moon, the closed fist and the open hand, was as a way of uh, the uh, oppressed Han under the subsequent dynasty, the Qing, I want to say, it might have been the Qing. I forget the Qing. You're right. right. Sorry. Um, That they wanted the return of the Ming. And so they would secretly salute each other with the sun and moon salute. But the sun and moon, of course, take on a bunch of dual meanings that are associated, of course, with yin and yang and, and masculine and feminine energy, not as they necessarily correspond to male and female people, but this notion of the sort of aggressive and active versus the passive and the accepting, right? That which can sort of turn away the blow versus that which can deliver it. Uh, and so the the twist is not that Shang-Chi is, you know, oh, he was American and now he's Chinese and now he's both and he's got the power of two worlds and he's going to go fight Thanos. It's that you thought he was the dude, right? You thought he was the father and that his sister was the mother, but it turns out he's the mother and his sister is the father, right? And they swap 
Um, and, uh, and that's the sort of twist in, in the sort of way that the story is told is, is my sense of it. Right. Um, I guess I, suppose. Sure. I don't the, know. Mark. The, the sister right. who had not, the sister who had not, you know, been allowed to train with, uh, had been not been allowed to train with the boys when she was growing up. Uh, the girls were not allowed to, you know, learn martial arts. The and and then she shows up in in Talo and is is amazed and and you know uh, her aunt Michelle Michelle Yeo says no yeah here we don't we don't segregate the sexes when we're when we're training everyone's allowed to everyone's allowed to learn the the things that that we're doing so the yeah. the yeah, the um the denial of her sort of birthright to learn to learn these martial arts right where is sort of revealed as a uh, you know i don't know as a as a bad move as a as an yeah. incorrect um position yeah i would say just to bring it back to sort of maybe this is closing out the topic maybe it isn't that sean's characteristic uh characteristic uh, I always forget which it is. Yin energy, his moon energy, right? His his open hand energy, the open hand that clasps and turns away rather than the fist that strikes uh, might be part of why, in terms of considering him as a character, he doesn't wrestle with his dual identity in this movie uh, because one of the other one of the other big martial arts movie references that's played on in this movie is Bruce Lee's famous comment to be like water, right? Everybody who knows anything about Bruce Lee knows that he has this little comment he makes in an interview that he also talks about in his martial arts philosophy to be like water, right? Take take the shape of the cup, right? Water can strike, water can overwhelm, water can take the shape of what's needed. And so as a martial artist, you should strive to be flexible and adaptable and fluid and not to be overly strict in your form, which is one of the concepts uh, behind his style of Jeet Kune Do, I suppose. Um, which means which means the the way of the intercepting fist. Right. right. I wouldn't necessarily like talk too much about that specific style of martial arts, but this is like Bruce Lee's philosophy, right? Um, and uh, and so the notion that when you meet Sean, right, you go into you see his room briefly, right? And he has posters in his room. One poster is for Kung Fu Hustle. One poster is for the Warriors, right? Kung Fu Hustle is a Baroque, you know, semi-parodic, semi-campy take on a, a sort of historical film and storytelling tradition of the East. And the Warriors is a similar sort of thing, though not as funny, about uh, sort of ancient Greek and Western storytelling, right? Um, and yeah, then sure. In the it's, middle, about, yeah. it's about a, a Christmas party at King Arthur's house and uh, yeah. how, <laughs> you know, how, how, a guy with green, how a guy with green hair comes in and I'm says— I'm holding my finger next to my nose and raising my eyebrows, man. <laughs> yes. Hit, hit me with your chain. Hit me yeah, as hard yeah. as you can with your chain. And in a year and a day, I'll meet you on the New York subway yeah. and I'll hit you with my chain. And and then in the middle, he has a an outcast poster for Stankonia, right? And of course, outcast is a hip hop act that's comprised of two very different artists who have come together to create one act that in and of itself is very distinctive, right? And so he is he is already he's already taken the shape of the cup. He is already like water. He doesn't need to he doesn't need to learn how to fight that way, and he needs to learn that that's what he's supposed to do. But it's like. This is a movie in which the characters have these unrealized potentials, right? These talents, uh, you know, you might even call them superpowers, right? That they that they sort of grow that they don't grow into, but they sort of realize that they've always had and turn toward, right? And when Sean's superpower is his adaptability, 
right? And, and his fluidity, right? And uh, how he can walk in any world, right? And uh, and that includes also the spirit world, right? And the world of fighting aliens, which will hopefully also mean the multiverse of madness, the multiverse of madness, and whatnot, right? And like Ka- and he, Katie's you know, Katie's superpower is being an archer. Yes, yes, <laughs> she is. Her superpower is. Uh, is is to be the fifth best archer in the Marvel Cinematic Universe <laughs> once the Hawkeye show launches. That's that's. A, do you think there's going to be jokes? Right? There's going to be jokes where Aquafina is going to talk to Haley Stanfield and is just going to be like, "I'm an archer too." And she's be like, "Really?" It's like, "Yeah, I killed a dragon once. Good shot." You know? Oh, <laughs> I believe you. No, really, it happened. Sean Keller. I, 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 I self-actualized. I, I focused. <laughs> I brought focus to my uh, largely uh, drifting and, and meaningless life. The archery, yeah, that's me. I did that. Yeah, but me- meanwhile, you know, uh, Jia Jing, what's the sister's name again? Jialing, Jialing, right? Uh, they don't really say it a lot in the movie. They just, I think, it's like mentioned once or twice. Um, yeah, Jialing. Her is... posters are all rage. They're all like punk, right? They're all like countercultural punk alt music. She has an ACDC uh, sweatshirt in her room. I think that I recognized, but it's like it's all aggression. Right. And rebellion and like reforming society. Right. Um, whereas Sean's is all like synthesis and, and kind of, uh, you know, melding. Right. And kind of changing. Um, and, and I feel like the posters, whereas, of course, when Sean is growing up in his room, uh, he has one poster on the wall. I felt this was a joke by the art director. Right. That Sean has one poster in his room growing up and it's just of the pressure points. Right. So it's just like the only thing oh, in your life good. is pressure from your father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I thought really that good. was a nice touch. That was a nice touch. Yeah. These are very astute observations, Pete. Um, since you brought up Kung Fu Hustle and we started talking about other martial arts movies, like well, first a couple of things. One, Kung Fu Hustle is a delirious good time. <laughs> if you haven't seen that movie, like it, I, it was streaming on Netflix uh, as of not that long ago, and it, it, that's it's just very quickly shot up to the top of my uh, top of the list of like favorite martial arts movies that I've ever seen. Um, but I wanted to, to broaden out the scope of this because um, you know we, we've named Jack Bruce Lee and um, Jackie Chan movies are clearly an influence on this, as well as the uh, Ip Man series of movies starring um, uh, Donnie Yen, um, right? So, like, to what extent? is this movie like um, meant to be kind of an, a martial arts movie in the legacy of that versus um, it being uh, a sort of a Mar- quote unquote Marvel superhero movie, or perhaps I think to your point, Pete, like, you know, it is meant to be a synthesis of the I mean, two. I'll ask Matt first, because I went into this expecting something that had to do with martial arts movie history. And so I don't know how much of it I've imported into it, but Matt, from your perspective, well, I, how much of this I loved, like, I thought, you know, at the, the very beginning, like a lot of the wushu was, was like very, very beautiful, you know, and well, well done in that it moved the plot forward. It expressed character, uh, some of the wire stuff. I mean, there, there was enough wire stuff that like, if you were looking for it and you had seen some of the, some of those things, like there were one or two moments where it was like, ah, yes, that's, you know, I, I see what they're doing there. But I, and I, you know, I was frankly disappointed as I am with all the Marvel movies that at, at the end it, it devolves into CGI punching in a field, though in this case, not a field in a lake. Um, yeah. Right. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we've brought up Black Panther this far. Black, Black Panther did the same thing, right? Like it created this, this fascinating, fascinating society, country and capital city. 
right? And then the uh, the um, the at the climactic moment, there's a, it's a bunch of CGI punching in a field, and then I guess sort of underground. Now the field does have like giant rhinoceroses in it, so I, I guess that's something. But you know, it's it's the the kind of the the. I don't know the assumption that like the assumption that the kind of spectacle uh, that's called for is, you know, giant monsters like it's two dragons fighting over a pearl. Um, the uh, you know, when one dragon looks like the mimics from Edge of Tomorrow <laughs> and the, the other <laughs> the other dragon looks like a looks like a moray eel. D- that's like um, that's what we want. The, no, I, it's not. I, I wish there I wish there had been a way for the the real character driven um style of fighting right like like the idea the idea that the the style of fighting can express something something about character like what was not didn't didn't pay off past his uh you know his uh, uh climactic battle with his his father um when you know he sort of adopted the the circular um kind of intercepting style uh you know having not gotten having having not gotten anywhere with the the uh with the kind of the aggressive linear style and that's yeah. um you know i don't know the the to me now i i don't know enough of the repertoire to to be able to pick out individual individual references but you know i don't know i've seen yeah well I'm, I'm interested to hear you say that because it informs my it's related to my own reaction to it as somebody who's at least seen some of this stuff, but not a ton. I'm not a huge aficionado, but I've seen enough to know how little I know, which is that through the beginning of the movie, it seems like we're going to be treated to a buffet of, well, this is a, this is a Hong Kong action scene from this style. And this is a Hong Kong action scene from that. Right. Style. Yeah. Yeah. This right? is the, right. This is the, the, Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. This is the Jackie Chan scene on the bus, yep. you know, yep. this is where he's like, actually, I think, yeah, I think there are probably literal quotes from visual quotes from, from some stuff now that I'm, now that I'm thinking of it, but the, yeah. And it's not that, Oh, that's interesting. Well, cause it doesn't end there. Right. Like it ends with this sort of Dragon Ball, fantastical, folkloric journey into the West ish kind of thing, which is, I guess, is one way that it could go. But if it were really this uh, this kind of buffet, you would expect the end to be kind of a synthesis. But, yeah, like like the Jackie Chan scene on the bus is awesome. And you're like, oh, wow, this is a really cool. I haven't seen somebody do Jackie Chan this well other than Jackie Chan. Right. Like this is really good Jackie Chan style action. Right. Comic action, very expressive. Uh, you know, the idea that the hero is not really this super violent guy, but he's very capable of fighting. It's it's dance. Right. It's you know, it's because uh, these are all you know, he's trained as a ballerina and a dancer as well as a fighter and all this stuff. Um, so, like, yeah. So you get your you get your Zhang Yimou, you get your hero, House of Flying Daggers, kind of mystical, feminine, atmospheric, right, bold colors in the fight at the gate of Talo. Right. If you've if you've seen uh, well, the big one that speaks to me is hero. If you've seen the both the red fight in the woods and the blue fight on the lake in hero um, and then the sort of big fight in the circle um, between uh, Jet Li and the female assassin uh, have these sorts of different mixtures of energy and shape and form and tempo. Right. Uh, that's being used. And then also you have the sort of neon soaked kind of 
Japanese influenced, you know, it felt a little bit like the dark night in Hong Kong. It felt a little bit like rush hour two. So somebody in the discord asked like, what's the most obscure reference in all of this? And I think the weirdest one might be that there's a little bit of rush hour two in this movie, just in terms of the action sequences on the skyscraper in that movie, it felt a little bit reminiscent, but that's also a Jackie Chan movie. So it's probably not that obscure, like the scaffolding fight in rush hour two, um, with, and, and the open windows, um, I guess from the background, from the background of, of, you know, big digital signs, I was thinking of the, um, I guess it's a gunfight, but at least partly in Casino Royale. Uh, oh, yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. The Daniel Craig one where, you know, where the, yeah, the, the set is this, you know, luminous backdrop of, of digital, digital signage. But that was yeah, just, I think a, you a might be, rough. you might be referring to Skyfall. Oh, was it Skyfall? Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. The, the, so, the silhouette characters with the uh, summer, I think in Macau with, or Hong Kong with the lights. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's funny. I associated yeah. it with, I associated it with the location of the titular casino. And that's, yeah. I guess that's sort of wrong. And of course we have Tony Long in this movie who was in hard boiled. Right. And I know he's been in a lot of other stuff. I was trying to explain who he is to my wife. And I was sort of like, remember when Mel Gibson did Braveheart? <laughs> right. Like imagine he didn't get weird. <laughs> right. Like, and he just kept being awesome. Right. That's sort of the vibe, like this actor who is both an action star and a romantic star. Right. And this sort of like getting older, really soulful, sensitive actor. Right. Uh, um, that I was trying to think of a good comparison because it's because he's a real legend. Right. Um, and uh, but they had that sort of like gambling hall that you would expect in a Chow Yun Fat movie. Right. Where, where uh, you know, the tables are flying and and it's you know, it's got that brutal, you know, kind of somewhat surrealistic urban uh, uh, violence character to it. Um, and then, of course, there's, you know, there's like Dragon Ball and like the anime and the swirling rings and the blasting rays and all that stuff. So I guess I guess here's here's a weird I don't know if anybody on this case the question. And I and I do apologize, Mark, for ever really putting you in the position of speaking for all Asian people. It's really very rude. And, oh, well, and I did that myself. Okay, that's just- true. Yeah. So, so, so this is something I haven't really understood, and maybe it's because this movie doesn't do what Black Panther does and doesn't make a stated case for a pan Asian, you know, uh, superhero. Right? Is like I don't really un- fully understand the intersections of Chinese and Japanese culture as they pertain now to cross reference. Right. Mythological reference. Right. How much stuff has been cross pollinated over the years? I know there's tons. Right. I don't know what's Hong Kong versus mainland versus Japan versus Korea. You know, this goes to Macau. Right. I don't even know anything about the culture of Macau other than that. This at one point they spoke more Portuguese than they do now. Right. Like uh, so. So but this idea of like, well, some of those things look Japanese and some of them look Chinese. I don't know how much this movie is really hewing very closely uh, and that that sort of factors into the action sequences, right? Is like, am I supposed to be looking for like, you know, old boy somewhere around here, right? Is that going to show up, right? Like, is this is this really a sort of love letter to Asian cinema, or is it very specifically Hong Kong action cinema? Um, because there's enough film reference that I feel like I should be looking for more references, but there's not a the culmination doesn't feel sophisticated in the sense in its sense of uh, you know historicity, right? Um, historiography, right? The story it's telling about the history of Asian action heroes. 
Um, it doesn't feel like it's it's actually coming to a final argument. So I don't know. Maybe that's just flavor. Maybe it's just what they use to populate the world, to build the setting. Uh, and it's not the core of the story in that sense. I don't know. Does it, did you speak? Did you get anything that I'm missing here? The only thing I can offer, well, I, I don't have a ton of specifics to offer in terms yeah. of like, you know, all the kind of the lineages. Uh, like there's a ninja kind of like in this movie, right? Isn't there like a, there's a ninja in this movie, I think, right? Was there? And it's like, I don't it? know. Like the, the oh, she looks oh. like Kuni Mitsu from Tekken. Right. There was like, like, like the main henchman with the mask. Yeah. It was very yeah. Sure. The, yeah. the only specific thing I'll offer is that the director of this movie, Destin Daniel Cretton, is um, at least, I think, like uh, half a quarter Japanese. Um, okay. So, like, you know, they're in Aquafina also is uh, half Chinese uh, and half Korean of descent. So, right. like, there are these, like, little gestures more behind the scenes to a sense of, like, a Pan-Asian-ness about this movie. Um, I, but, like, it's it just kind of, like, our, our semi-informed reading of this is, like, it is, like, really, you know, Chinese at its core, right? Okay. Of, like, it's um uh, uh the mythology and the, the the cinematic references that we see here um on that by the way right you know we mentioned that um right simu lu got in hot water for uh the comments he made due disparaging mainland china right in 2017 like, right in yeah. 2017 <laughs> i was positive this movie is like you know had already had like a, a straight line ticket to uh mainland china box office and they were just gonna like make mad bank over it but that is absolutely not the case like it is not slate. It does not have an opening for it. And because of that comment, it like almost definitely will not yeah. get a, Some, get a yeah. Chinese release. They, Cause they've tightened up a lot, right? They've, they, they've, they've signaled that they're going to be tightening up more. And I don't know how much of that is informed by COVID and the desire to be kind of job protectionistic. Right. Cause like, I don't know if people are not going to the movie, the movie theater revenue isn't going to be as much or, or maybe they're seeing the opportunity because so many other movie theaters around the world are suffering to like take a bigger slice of the pie. I don't know, but it, it feels like unfortunate timing in that respect. Like this wouldn't always be the case. Um, I mean, John Cena was dragged over the coals for what seems to eventually be no reason as, as he will no doubt not be featured in many releases in the country in the future, Jeez, despite yeah. his uh, bowing and scraping. Right. Um, but uh, you know, in all in all the delicacy that that of course you come to expect hey. from Ferdinand the Bull. But <laughs> remember, when we're trying to get this podcast banned in mainland China. We should follow up and somebody can like can somebody who's got a solid connection to the mainland Chinese uh, Great Firewall like put in a bad word for us <laughs> to get us banned. I would really would really if you could get it if you could get this podcast banned with all my future employers that would be great. That would be awesome. <laughs> I'm sure I've said all sorts of things that are terrible, probably even in this podcast that I that I will regret in in some form in the future. So you go off the cuff and you no, try to Pete, share. As we've as we you know, the Internet has, has resulted, Pete, in a great flowering of empathy and fellow feeling. <laughs> Do you remember we, we even had a podcast episode called that and everyone, everyone, you know, rallied so, to our side. So speaking of lampshading your sins of the past, let's talk about Ben Kingsley. Oh, man. <laughs> so great. Oh, my goodness. I have never I have never wanted uh, the only time I can think of wanting a Marvel Cinematic Universe character to come back more uh, was when Luis didn't show up in Avengers Endgame oh, yeah. with, with his van, uh, which is that, of course, we are treated to Trevor, the actor from Iron Man 3. <laughs> <laughs> who played the Mandarin, right? So we did have one question from role, our- Role readers. of a lifetime, role of a lifetime. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So like one of the things that this movie does, and, and I won't get too deep into it, but this was a question from one of our uh, listeners in the Discord uh, to talk a little bit about is just the history of all of these Marvel characters that are associated with the Far East, who tend to be Ming the Merciless caliber Orientalism, right? Like, and or white guys pretending to be Asian because it's cool, right? Like the Iron, like the uh, Immortal Iron Fist or whatever, right? Um it's just proof that being the that just because someone is the first to be successful at something doesn't mean a whole bunch of other people didn't try and it was awful. Uh, which is that there are a lot of attempts at at Asian Marvel characters that are pretty bad. No, I mean what it really boils down to is, of course, before Robert Downey Jr. became Iron Man and people heard there was going to be an Iron Man movie, everybody who knows Iron Man felt this cold stone in the pit of their stomach that at some point they were going to have to do the Mandarin who prior to the first Iron Man movie was, I think widely known and acknowledged by most people who know Iron Man as a cartoon character as like the big Iron Man villain, right? The Mandarin. He is a, a weird, I think sometimes green, like, uh, like, like Ming, the merciless style oriental potentate with magical whose hands are just soaked in magical rings, dripping with gold, uh, with his long nails and his kind of gay panic. Uh, and he's just, he's just the worst. The Mandarin is the worst. Um, and of course, Iron Man three threaded this needle by turning the Mandarin into a, a, a fake terrorist. A, a boogeyman invented by uh, the, a radioactive 1980s uh, bitten Guy Pierce, right, to uh, to threaten the world. And by uh, the way, like was meant to present as Middle Eastern. Yes, yes, exactly. As uh, um, uh, uh, East Asian. Right, because that because they were they really they didn't even want to go there, right? Yeah. Like they wanted they, even though they were still making him a joke, they did not want to get close to the Mandarin. Now, of course, what they've done in this movie is they've. They, of course, uh, retconned everything. They've changed who the Mandarin is. Now, instead of having these 10 big gaudy rings on his fingers, the rings of the Mandarin have become the 10 forearm rings, which are a form of the old Shaolin iron ring training weapon, which is featured in a lot of old school Kung Fu movies, as well as in Kung Fu Hustle in a couple of memorable scenes. Um, but like, yes, so in, so the Ben Kingsley who played the Middle Eastern terrorist, who is, of course, not real, but a a, a rather, you know, kind of uh, softly spoken and friendly sort of British actor uh, played expertly by Ben Kingsley in Iron Man 3, has returned in the dungeon of uh, Shang-Chi's father, uh, who is the real Mandarin, but not called the Mandarin, right? right. Uh, then he finds the name insulting. I, I was a little bit confused that he wouldn't think of Mandarin as as the sort of name of this sort of what a state attache or whatever the original name of it is like a sort of bureaucrat um and or the language the language um, right? but instead as a chicken dish or an orange um i don't know what currency that word has like in the vernacular um mark do you know I don't know. <laughs> I don't either. But at any rate, of course, we get a big speech by Tony Long here in this movie that Mandarin was a fake name that they made up to scare people to make this terrorist think it was him because everybody had this vague sense that he existed and was super powerful terrorist, uh, crime boss and whatnot. Um, and so he goes and finds Ben Kingsley, the you know Trevor, the actor with the intent of brutally executing him. But when he starts performing Shakespeare for everybody, they decide to spare his life and keep him as a jester. Uh, and so he serves as the commentary in this movie on performed identity. All right. Identity performance, not just as it pertains to Orientalism, but just more broadly to superheroes in general. But he has this great his two great moments, I thought. 
um, or two, two great speeches. One of them is when he talks about the story of how he became the Mandarin, which when I replay it in my brain, right, seems like the story of how the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been trying to tackle its sketchy history with Asian representation, hmm. right? Which is like, I'm a creator. I'll do what people ask me to do. And it's like, also, I'm kind of dumb and pretty, right? Like, I don't really think these things through. I just sort of do what entertains people. This guy comes to me and, and says it'd be entertaining if I played a terrorist from Asia, right? And he's like, and I'm like, great, awesome. I love it. I love acting. I need work. So I'll play the terrorist from Asia. But then I realized later that it wasn't entertaining. It was actually bad. And the person making me do it wasn't just an entertainer. They were actually bad. And I'm mortified and apologetic, right? Because there's a real person who is uh, is somewhat related to the person that I was playing. And he's not like me at all, right? My portrayal was a was a cruel parody of him, right? And uh, And he's mad, right? <laughs> and I'm going to pay for it. Uh, right. And that that all just seemed to be like a, a wonderful little a wonderful little explanation of uh, of what's going on with guys like Fu Manchu. Right. Who is Shang-Chi's traditional brother in the comics, uh, father in the comics. And of course, is here uh, not present. Marvel does not have the rights to the character of Fu Manchu, nor would they want them if they could have them. <laughs> I mean, like uh, because that is not a person that is a mustache. Um but yeah, uh, I guess. And then uh, I don't know. Any other any thoughts about this sort of idea of Ben Kingsley kind of apologizing and lampshading the uh, the Mandarin character, um, which I just loved. And oh, it's 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 great. It's actually well yeah. done. But uh, it's like I feel like, like all set up for like the amazing Planet of the Apes bit. But uh, yeah, I but it's all, I mean it's over. it's also his career a little bit. Ben, you know Ben <laughs> Ben Ben Gandhi Kingsley. Uh, he's is, not pretending to be Indian. He is Indian. Uh, I mean, he's not from India, but he's he's from two worlds. You see, he had to go back to India to find this mess, missing part of himself. <laughs> 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 and then he saw Harold and Kumar went to White Castle, and he got it. Right, like he's he's like, oh, that the movie explained it to me. I'm between two worlds: my English, my English mother, and my Indian father. Sorry, mm. sorry. Oh, um, and the castle's white. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. So wait, so so I'm sorry, Matt. I interrupted no, that's you. A, that's a, I, talking I, about Sir Ben. Yeah, Sir Ben. The um. <laughs> well, anyway, anyway, it's not you know uh the the sort of. He is. Well, my point was that his his career itself, not just the character of the Mandarin, but also the actor Ben Kingsley, yeah. is tied up in in issues of kind of cross cultural representation and oh yeah, you know, you know yeah. this um this this whole thing. But I'm sorry, I don't want to knock you off course. Oh no, because no, no, you're no. you are you are headed for a horseback ride down a beautiful beach. So this is one of the great. If I want to, I want to remember this the speech in this movie. Because it's a great negative space speech. It is a great speech where the only thing that matters is the thing he doesn't say. And I, I, I can't think of other examples of this off the top of my head right now. But if you can think of any other examples of speeches like this in plays or movies where it's almost like a math problem where he maps out every possible understanding of the situation except for the right one <laughs> and that's the one that you intuitively understand <laughs> as being the point of the speech right which is like he tells the story of how he you ever, any actor should want to tell you if they really love acting the story of how they became an actor what made them what made them follow the muse which muse is it matt do you did they teach you that in graduate school <laughs> well yeah no our our greek religion we actually had to make daily sacrifices 
to uh, what Terpsichore is the is the muse of dance. The Erato is the muse of erotic poetry. Gosh, I'm not. And of species, Ben Kingsley's uh, role in species. Well, we're called the... we're called thespians. Is is there like yeah. a thespis? No, because thespis was an actor. Was the right. was the first actor who like put the mask on his face and like represented the the thing. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have to dig 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 into this, but but. Ben, uh, but the the Mandarin saw yes an, or not the Mandarin, Trevor. I'm sorry, I forget his name. Yeah, Trevor. Oh, Trevor, Trevor the, <laughs> the holy fool, right? The Shakespearean fool in this movie, who's yeah. the one who tells the truth, right? Um, totally. Is- he saw. He saw. He went to a, a, a film as a young young boy, and he said, "I saw mastery unfolding." <laughs> In front of me, and I thought, I thought, I thought this is one that really is good for a for a Stanley Fish style temporal reading, right? Yeah. Because you got to track your own reactions and what you think the speech is going to be about. So at that point, I thought he's going to talk about Charlton Heston in the middle of a Disney movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was incongruous. You yeah, know? right, right, Not, right. Nothing wrong with it, I suppose. It just seemed like it. It seemed like an odd choice, but a strong one. And so, so I strapped in for this, you know, for this great speech from Sir Ben. You know that, like, uh, <laughs> uh, I saw mastery unfolding in front of me, Pete. If you want to take it from here, I won't. Oh I won't man, I mean, bad. if you remember it word for word, go for it. But... <laughs> and he he said uh, he couldn't believe. Uh, he came out, you know, like blinking in the in the harsh light of day, having been in the cinema. I mean, he he couldn't believe um, that they had gotten monkeys, <laughs> apes to do all of these. And I think he says monkeys, which is a yes, fu- he calls them monkeys. <laughs> it's a it's a funnier word than yes. apes for sure, yeah. um, because it has a K in it, and as you know, K is a funny letter. Monkeys. Yeah. He he couldn't get the monkeys to do. All of those things, and that his mother uh, corrected him lovingly and said, "No, no, 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 no. They weren't doing all of those things. They were act. They- it was it was acting. It was acting." Yes. Is, so you, how much greater? How much greater the accomplishment <laughs> that 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 these monkeys weren't actually riding horses. Yes. They were pretending <laughs> to ride horses. Yes. So you say, oh, he saw Planet of the Apes. This is going to mean that he's he believe he he believes it's transportative, right? Acting can bring you places you can never go because he's about to bring them into fantasy land, right? Acting can transport you. Acting can change your view of the world. Nope, right? Oh, acting. Oh, I saw the I saw the, the the monkeys. It's like oh, acting can cause you to like disguise yourself and like become something else or experience something different. Nope, right? So like he goes through all of it, right? Which is this idea, of course. The one thing he misses is that those aren't actual monkeys in the movie (laughs) that Dr. Zayas and whatnot in Planet of the Apes are people wearing monkey costumes or ape costumes. Right. And that's the one thing he leaves out. Right. (laughs) Is that, oh, you know, the the monkeys are, are not really riding the horses. Yeah, they're not really monkeys either, champ. Right. And and uh, and later during the big fight after he's killed by the dragons and his sad CGI, uh, you know, Karibo friend goes to get him. Right. And uh, 
<laughs> Andy's like, Shh, I'm not really dead. I'm just pretending to be dead. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> which is which is true for everybody who died in that movie. You know, right. Like they didn't actually get killed by the dragons. They didn't even get to see them. It was all done in post. Right. <laughs> so like but so the idea is like, oh, man, remember. So so the, the thing that's omitted that you need to remember is that it, it is not notable as notable that when a Marvel superhero fights a villain, right, that it's that it's fake, right, that that they're pretending to fight, that it's not real stakes, not real violence, not a real portal, not a real uh, fisticuffs. Right. That's not the point. The point is that superheroes aren't real. Right. And that it's people pretending to be superheroes. And and this feeds back into the idea of Shang-Chi is like the water. He fills the vessel. Right. And so this is a movie about how do no, we Pete, make. You don't understand. He was only pretending to fly. <laughs> he was only <laughs> pretending to fly on a dragon. <laughs> he was only pretending to save the world. Right. Like he was only pretending to be that guy in the first place. Right. He was only pretending to be in a cage fight. He was only pretending to not fight his sister. All right. But yeah, it's that. If if you're I feel like a bunch of the Marvel properties lately have really stuck out to me with their very uh, what I would describe as workmanlike meta textual approach to justifying what they're trying to accomplish in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. Like part of the story of Captain Falcon and the and the Falcon Punch is how does Anthony Mackie end up carrying the shield? Right. Like that has to happen because it's the next thing that happens. Right. So so that has to happen. So that in and of itself is important. Right. And in, uh, in 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 Captain Falcon and the Falcon kick, um, whereas in uh, in Shang-Chi, it's like, oh, how do we create this superhero out of the dregs of this terrible story? We don't really have a great, you know, blueprint to go from. Uh, we got to make a new superhero, but he's got to feel traditional. He's got to feel connected to all to all these traditions that we want to reference. Well, how do we do it? Well, you just watched it. Right. You just watched how he gets in the costume, literally how he puts on the costume. Right. Is, you know, he get, he, they give it to him and it fits because it's custom made. Right. And maybe they have they have to do a long fitting. Probably they have to do all sorts of measurements and stuff, which is, I'm sure, awkward at times. But they're actors. They're used to it. It's part of the craft. Genius. Uh, but, yeah, that's the that's the idea is that, like, just as Sean uh, is not, in fact, struggling to be both Asian and American, as you might think he might be because of movies like The Farewell really, really making that impression on on, uh, on the tradition. He's also not, you know, he's not struggling to be a superhero either. You know, he's he's flowing into it. He's performing the identity. He, he is like mm-hmm. he is. In, he is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He has the monkey costume on to the point where, like, you can't tell he's not a monkey. Right. And, you know, but like, you know, Chris Evans is also a monkey, right? Chris Pratt is a, a monkey. The only Chris who isn't a monkey is Chris Pine, Chris Pine, and that's because he's a gorgeous orangutan, right? Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> with just chiseled, chiseled ear flaps. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know. Does this did this resonate with any of you guys? This idea. I mean, I thought that the word monkey was both. It was daring. It was problematic. It was difficult. I I, I heard that. And I'm like, is what he's saying offensive? <laughs> right? Like, is he talking about monkeys? Like, like lesser people? But like no, I think he's talking about monkey suits. Yeah, right? no, he, like, right, exactly. Yeah. The the and it it is kind of a a nice uh, nice coincidence that that monkey suit is a 
like a, a slang term for a tuxedo, like an old timey yeah. slang term for a tuxedo, which um, Bob Hoskins says to the gorilla guarding the uh, guarding the entrance to the speakeasy in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Nice monkey suit. <laughs> And then the, the monkey goes, wise ass. And the, the, you know, the, um, yeah, the, no, I, yeah, I think it's not meant, I, it's unfortunate, but I think, I think you just have to suspend, uh, your knowledge of the, of the kind of the racist use of that, of that animal's name. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In order to yeah. kind of, to, to get what, to get what Sir Ben is getting at. Here, yeah. And know. it's like, it's like you can put the rings on your arms, but nobody knows the rings are a MacGuffin. Nobody knows what they do. Right. No one knows what they are. So whatever. Right. You have to perform them. You have to make the rings a thing. Right. Um, may, you know, it's it's the legend of the t- it's the legend of the 10 rings that matters, not the 10 rings themselves. Of course, there isn't really a legend, <laughs> but, but I guess the red legend is the, the of the crime syndicate and what the guy has done with it and all that stuff. Um, but, yeah, when you when you go through, I thought the first half to two thirds of this movie was really great. Yeah. I really liked it. And then the third, I don't think the third act was bad. It just was a, it, all of the criticisms that people level at Marvel movies and that you've already leveled at it. I felt like were appropriate. And it's, it's always, just, you know what? It's only the second half of the third act. That was yeah, bad. Yeah, you know, like the third act. It's not they, that bad. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. And I think that's yeah. right. Like it was fine is yeah. the, is, yeah. is the right thing. Pete, I thought of another negative space monologue. You kind of have to, it's, you, you need a slightly galaxy brain take to, uh, to appreciate it, but it's in the film Zoolander. Okay. And <laughs> it's when, it's when, uh, Derek and Hansel say to, oh, I forget the name of, the, I forget the name of, of the woman who is Ben Stiller's wife, but who, I forget her character's name, but this, this, she's like, guys, can you cut it out with the earth to so and so stuff? It's really annoying. And, and they say, oh no. We're not actually saying that we're the Earth calling you like you're up in a spaceship and we're like, hello, hello, <laughs> right? They've, they've mastered, they've mastered this on every level except the one that she's, she's particularly talking about, which is that, right. you know, they're being annoying. Right, 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 right. Um, oh man. I mean, Mark, I, I feel like I've, I've. I want to keep steering the conversation back to you because you were the one, I mean, we all were going to see this movie, but you asked us to make sure that we wait for you to come on the show it and talk about law. it. Yeah, we did it have was the to law. see it. Yeah. And I don't want to talk over you because I'm so excited to talk about Planet of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, oh, I guess we're trying to wrap this up here. So just like, you know, Pete, I always appreciate the insight you bring to explaining a lot of these things here, in particular, like that, the, the, the Planet of the Apes bit there, which like, like, uh, uh it was late for me. Okay? Like <laughs> it was like approaching midnight by the time that the planet of the Apes bit came on. I was like, this is hilarious. I'm enjoying this, this joke uh, at a surface level, but there's something else going on there. And I'm going to wait for Pete to explain it to me. Were you in a theater? Yeah. I saw this in the movie theater. It was, it was fantastic. Yeah, I guess it it's the only, it's the only way you can see it. I mean, one one thing that we could end on is that this movie really overperformed expectations. You know, the, yeah, the, yeah. the joke that I've heard in a bunch of different, entertainment press outlets was that the the you know bob chapek the ceo of disney uh was more or less daring this movie to do any business by a releasing it theaters only and b releasing it on um labor day weekend and that like you know which is not memorial day weekend right like it's not one of these sort of uh storied uh you know, movie going, movie going weekends and, and, you know, with COVID anxiety rising and, and box office revenues declining, you know, you weren't going to see, and, and I don't think you did see like, like F9 
level of business, but it did incredible business. This people, people wanted to see it. I'm sorry, Mark. I, I uh, butted in while you were still talking. Yeah, t- Tony Long. Yeah, exactly. Right. Superstar. <laughs> Star power. Tony Long. International superstar. Tony Long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the last thing I want to leave you gentlemen with, because, you know, when confronted with um, sometimes stressful situations and kind of, you know, uh, being tasked with being the voice of Asian America and discussing this film in such, uh, you know, in, in this August forum, um, I fall back on a certain defense mechanism, which is on a dark desert highway, <laughs> cool wind in my hair. Warm smell of Kalites rising. Oh yeah, the I it made me so just yearning, just yearning for karaoke again. Oh yes, oh, oh it was so yeah. wonderful. That's I yeah. know. And, and the, by the way, that that song is also about being stuck in between two worlds. To be able, it, yeah, that's true. <laughs> to to be able to um, to embrace your friends and to to expectorate wetly, to sing wetly onto a communal microphone. <laughs> oh, will those days will those days return? But no, the Hotel California is still closed because of because of COVID. So uh, you know that's probably not good. All right, before we, uh, before we go, I just want to say we have had, uh, great fun in our Discord server with the members of, uh, you know, the, or the, those heroes who, um, who wear the monkey suits, who, uh, go to overthinkingit.com slash join and join us, uh, and support us with, uh, a little cash contribution every, uh, every month to keep the lights on around here. And it's been, uh, it's been fun. And we're going to, uh, we're going to open it up to, to all listeners now. So there's a link to join the overthinking at discord server and the show notes for this episode. If you want access behind the velvet rope into the exclusive fight club, <laughs> uh, the, the exclusive Macau fight club, um, where the, the members congregate, you can still become a member overthinking it.com slash join, but, uh, everyone is, is welcome to come in and, uh, see pictures of my dog, which is uh, mostly what I'm doing these days on the, uh, on the discord server. That link is in the show notes for, uh, this episode. So thanks very much for listening. Thanks very much to Pete as always and to Mark for joining us for this episode. Uh, we'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcasts. Until then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a legend of scrutiny. It probably, probably doesn't deserve Sir Ben, Sir Ben, Sir Ben, action. Hello, I'm Trevor. <laughs> Cut, Sir Ben, Sir Ben, Sir Ben, I want to do one more thing because we had one more question from the Discord. I want to address it really fast, which was what role do you think Shang-Chi is going to have in the Phase 4 Avengers? And I'm going to say it right here. I'll just put it right here. I think that he's going to be the one who can go the places that other people can't. I just want to throw that out there, and we'll see if it's affirmed in some future movie. You mean like water? Yeah, water. Mostly swimming. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) 